hill. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. And we'll see in Psalm 24 today very similar language. And uh, what we see in these similar psalms are kind of like bookends of a section between Psalms 15 and 24. This section has been primarily focused on God's anointed king, his experiences, his character, and his relationship with Yahweh. And God's anointed king will be in view yet again in Psalm 24. We'll see that language of king used. And the king's relationship with Yahweh will be in view as well. And so with that, let's read together Psalm 24. And since these words are breathed out by God and come with the very authority of the Lord Jesus himself, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? The Holy Spirit says, a psalm of David, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. As we begin today, I want to give you a question to consider. Do you desire God? Do you desire God? Now, maybe you'd be honest enough in your own heart to say, no, I don't desire God. Or maybe you would say, yes, sure, I desire God. Sounds good. If your answer is yes, let me ask you this. Do you desire God as you want him to be? Or do you desire God as he is? What I mean is, I think many people desire a God made in their own image. A God who does what they want him to do, a God who fits into their concept of who God is and what God ought to be. And so say, do you desire God? Well, sure, I desire this God. 
But do you desire a God who says, this is who I am, whether you agree or not? You desire a God who reveals himself in Scripture. Or consider this, if you would answer yes to the question, do you desire God? Is it that you desire God for his gifts? Or do you desire God for himself? You might answer the question, do you desire God? Yes, by meaning, yes, I desire God so that he'll give me the healing that I want. Oh, yes, I desire God so that he will fix my life that I've messed up. Oh, yes, I desire God so he can bless my career. Oh, yes, I desire God fill in the blank. But do you desire the person, God himself, on his own terms for who he is? Well, there's a central truth I want us to see in Psalm 24. And it's really a central truth that is the only way we can make sense of Psalm 24. And it's this, that there is no greater joy than the presence of God. There is no greater joy than the presence of God. Greater than our own ideas of what God should be is the presence of God as he is. Greater than any gift that God would give us is simply the presence of God himself. There is no greater joy than the presence of God. And we're going to see this truth developed throughout Psalm 24 in three truths. First, God created, God created us to enjoy his presence. Second, one must be holy to enjoy God's presence. And third, the king leads God's people to enjoy God's presence. We'll look at each one of those in turn. First, God created us to enjoy his presence. God created us to enjoy his presence. David begins Psalm 24 in verse 1, declaring that Yahweh owns the world. Look at verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So remember that when you see the word Lord with all caps, that's a translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the personal name of the God of Israel. It's the name that he revealed to Moses. He identified himself as the, the one who, the, the I am uh, to Moses at the burning bush. And David says here in this opening verse that everything on earth belongs to Yahweh. Everything. Every animal, every piece of land, every mountain, every ocean, it is all his. Every person who has ever lived belongs to Yahweh. Every citizen of every nation, every stranger you encounter on the street, 
every member of your family, you yourself, every person who has ever lived belongs to Yahweh. But why is Yahweh the owner of everyone and everything? Well, David's answer is because Yahweh created everyone and everything. Look at verse 2. For because he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Yahweh is the owner of all creation because he is the creator of all creation. Yahweh is the God who spoke and created the earth. When he created the earth, it was covered in water. And then he spoke and dry land emerged. And he separated waters from the land. He took dust from that dry land. And he formed a person. And he breathed into him. The breath of life. God owns it because he made it. He owns you because he made you. One of the most foundational truths of Scripture, and especially in the Old Testament, is that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the God of all the earth. He's not just the God of one nation, as if Israel was just one little nation with their own little self-made religion, just kind of like all the other nations that had their own little religions and they had their own little gods that they worshipped. No, Yahweh is the creator of the heavens and the earth. If it exists, it's because Yahweh, the God of Israel, created it. He is the one true God. And there is no other God but Yahweh. He is the one who owns the world and everything in it. He is the one all people in every nation must answer to. And if that is true, then you and I have no higher purpose than to glorify that one true God. You and I have no higher purpose than to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Nothing could be more important than learning how to please this one true creator, God. Because no one gets a pass on pleasing Yahweh. The atheist who doesn't believe that God exists is still accountable to God. A person of another religion doesn't get a pass just because they believe in some other god or gods. Everyone will be judged by how they respond to Yahweh, the one true living God. Nothing could be more important than learning how to please this God. And furthermore, nothing could be a greater joy than to know this creator God who spoke all things into existence. No joy could be greater than to know him. Yahweh created the earth. He put humans in it. And he dwelled with them so that they could enjoy his presence forever. He, he planted a garden where the first humans walked with him and glorified him. And, and that was humanity living life with God as he intended. 
experiencing the greatest pleasure humans can experience. Experience the greatest joy of knowing the Creator. Because there is no greater joy than the presence of God. You know, God has filled the world with incredible blessings to enjoy, but none of God's gifts can compare to God Himself. A delicious meal may leave your body feeling satisfied, but only God can satisfy your soul. Hobbies and entertainment can give some temporary rest, but only God can give you rest for your soul. Sex can be a delightful experience of intimacy, but it does not compare to the intimate love of God who knows you better than you know yourself. Money can buy a lot of temporary happiness, but only the riches of God's grace can give you eternal happiness. Relationships with people, friends, family can be meaningful and encouraging, but they cannot compare to knowing God and experiencing His nearness. You know, food and entertainment and sex and money and family are not bad things. They're all good gifts from a generous God. But if you have all of that and don't have God, you will still be left empty, unsatisfied, and longing. C.S. Lewis famously said this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. All the pleasures we experience in this world are just a taste of the satisfaction that we can experience in knowing the Creator God. If you have tried it all and you're still longing for more, it's because you're looking for satisfaction in something that was never meant to satisfy you. You're looking for satisfaction in something that was meant to point you to the true source of satisfaction. Yahweh, the Creator, the one true God. Trying to find eternal satisfaction in the gifts of God instead of God Himself is like trying to quench your thirst with a sign that says, water fountain that way. God did not give us the blessings of creation to satisfy us. He gave them to us so they would point us to Him, the true source of satisfaction. God created us for Himself. God created us to enjoy His presence. And that leads us to the second truth that we see in Psalm 24. One must be holy to enjoy God's presence. God created us to enjoy His presence, and one must be holy to enjoy God's presence. If there is no greater joy 
than the presence of the Creator. It naturally raises the question, how then can a person enter the presence of this God? Well, that's the question David gets at in verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of Yahweh? And who shall stand in His holy place? Who, who can walk up the temple mount and go in to the holy of holies? Who can live in God's house? What does it take to be able to enjoy God's presence? The answer, holiness. Holiness. Look at verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. In this verse, in, in just a few words, David describes a whole person. A whole person entirely devoted to Yahweh in every way. And that is holiness. A whole person entirely devoted to Yahweh in every way. That's holiness. The holiness that God requires, we learn from this verse, is both internal and external. To ascend the hill, a person must have clean hands. He must be innocent of wrongdoing. But external rule following isn't enough. He must also have a pure heart. As Jesus taught, it's not unwashed hands that defile a person. It's the evil that comes out of our hearts. If a person is going to enjoy the presence of a holy God, he must have a pure heart. Again, the holiness God requires is both internal and external. But the holiness of God, the holiness that God requires is also both vertical and horizontal. First, David describes vertical holiness, holiness directed toward God. David says to ascend the hill, a person must not lift up his soul to what is false. That phrase, lift up his soul, it has to do with trust in the divine. And we can see that in the very next psalm, in Psalm 25, verses 1 and 2, David says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. The one who can ascend the hill does not hope in a false God. He places his confidence in the one true God and worships him alone. Vertical holiness. But then David describes horizontal holiness. Holiness directed toward dealings with people. David says to ascend the hill, a person must not swear deceitfully. He, he must be honest. He must not just make empty promises to get his own way. Again, we get this picture here that the one who may ascend the hill and enjoy God's presence is the one who is holy, a whole person fully devoted to Yahweh in every way. Someone who has integrity from the inside out in his dealings both with God and with neighbor. Well, so this holy person, what does this holy person like this get to enjoy? Verse 5, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. The one who is holy, as David describes, 
is blessed by Yahweh. And in the context of Psalm 24, it seems clear that this blessing is nothing less than the soul-satisfying experience of the presence of God. Knowing Him personally, the Holy One enjoys God's presence. But more than that, not only does He receive blessing, He receives righteousness. That is to say that Yahweh declares the Holy One to be in the right. Yahweh, as the creator of all the earth, is the judge of the whole earth. He's the one whose opinion and verdict matter the most. And the Holy One, as David describes, receives a verdict of righteous from Yahweh, the judge of all the earth. Well, so at this point in the psalm, it it seems that David primarily has one person in view, And no doubt the person that he has in view is the anointed king of God's people. The king stood as a representative of God's people before God. But as Psalm 24 continues, we see that this blessing isn't just for one man. Look at verse 6. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. David envisions not just one man, but many people enjoying God, enjoying his presence, enjoying his blessing, enjoying his righteousness. He envisions this holiness to be true of a generation of people, a generation that seeks the face of the God of Jacob. People that know they were made for God. People who know that nothing compares to the presence of God of God. People who long to ascend the hill, who long like David longs in Psalm 27, 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One must be holy to enjoy God's presence. And that's true in two ways. First, holiness is a requirement to enter God's presence. You know, God had placed Adam and Eve, the first two humans, in the Garden of Eden. It was a little temple where they enjoyed the presence of God. It was a little holy place. But when they disobeyed Him, when they're clean hands were dirtied, when their pure hearts were corrupted, he removed them from his presence. He removed them from the holy place, and he closed them off from entering again. Then when he made a covenant with Israel at Sinai, he he made a way for people yet again to enter his presence. Israel had a, a literal hill to ascend a literal holy place inside a literal tabernacle but to ascend that hill to enter that holy place purification was required sacrifice for sin was required because holiness is required to be worthy to enter God's presence and this is true for us today if we have sinned in action if our hearts are not pure we give ourselves to a false god, if we deceive our neighbor, 
If we are not entirely devoted to Yahweh in every way, we are not worthy to enter his presence. One must be holy to enjoy God's presence. That's one way that that's true is that holiness is a requirement to enter God's presence. But there's a second way that that's true as well. And the second way is this. Holiness is a means by which we enjoy God's presence. It's a means of enjoying God's presence. It's not as though holiness is just the requirement to get through the door, but then once we experience the presence of God, we can just put holiness behind us. No, God made us to enjoy Him as we walk in holiness. So I studied music in college. I took music theory classes and aural skills classes. I took piano lessons and guitar lessons. Uh, There were scales to play and tests to take, pieces to learn, recitals to perform. And all of that was required to earn a music degree. But how crazy would it have been if once I got my diploma, I was like, all right, great, I'm so glad I never have to play music again. No, the whole point of all of that requirement for the degree was to be able, on the other side, to enjoy Music, to be able to enjoy playing and all the rest. Likewise, holiness is not just a requirement to enter God's presence. God made us to enjoy Him as we walk in holiness. God's laws are are not just a bunch of random hoops to jump through to please Him. God's law is the blueprint of the good life. Psalm 119, 1 through 3, describes this. It it uses the word blessed, which means happy, flourishing, thriving, living the good life. It says this, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart who also do no wrong but walk in His ways. The life of holiness is the good life. God calls people to love because love is the good life. God calls people to justice because justice is the good life. God calls people to purity because purity is the good life. When we walk in holiness, we get to enjoy the God who is holy. God created us to enjoy His presence. And one must be holy to enjoy God's presence. But how can unholy people ever have any hope of enjoying God's presence? Well, that leads us to the final truth that we see in Psalm 24. The king leads God's people to enjoy God's presence. The king leads God's people to enjoy God's presence. Let's consider what we've seen already in Psalm 24. David has set a scene. First, he described Yahweh, the creator and owner of all the earth. Next, he described the person who is able to enter the presence of of Yahweh, the creator and owner of all the earth. And after describing the person who is able to enter 
God's presence, David concludes with an entrance. The final verses of Psalm 24 are a dramatic, triumphant entrance ceremony. Look at verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. This song poetically speaks to gates, doors, inanimate objects, as if they had heads and could turn their necks. Uh, it, It speaks to these doors and gates guarding the holy place. The singers of the song cry, look this way, gates. Pay attention. Look who's coming. It's time to open yourselves up and let in the Holy One, the one who can stand in Yahweh's holy place. The one coming is the King of glory. Sure enough, the King of God's people is the one entering through the gates, entering through the doors, ascending the hill to stand in the holy place. But then the psalm takes a turn that's a little surprising. Look at verses 8 through 10. Who is this king of glory? Yahweh, strong and mighty. Yahweh, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? Yahweh of hosts. He is the King of glory. The surprise of this entrance ceremony is that the King who is entering through the doors and the gates is none other than Yahweh himself. Yahweh God. This is no mere human king. This is God himself, the creator and owner of all things. This king of glory is a a victorious king, we're told. He's triumphed in battle. He's mighty. He's defeated his enemies. And he's leading an army as he enters through the gates. He is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. So who is this king of glory? Who is this king who is worthy to ascend the hill? Who is this king who is both man and God? Who is this king who is mighty in battle? Well, this king of glory is none other than Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man. Just consider all the ways that Jesus fulfills what we've seen in Psalm 24. First, we saw in verses 1 and 2 how we were created for God, created to enjoy His presence. Well, Jesus is the one who can lead us to fulfill this purpose that we were made for. Through Him, we can know our Creator and glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. We saw in verses 3 through 5 how one must be holy to enjoy God's presence. Well, Jesus is that one who is holy. One must be holy, and one is holy, and his name is Jesus. He is the perfect man who has both clean hands and a pure heart. He is the perfect man who worships God and lives in integrity toward others. He is the one 
who deserves the blessing from God, the righteousness from God. But we also saw in verse 6 how this blessing and righteousness that was intended for the one holy man is extended to the generation of God's people. Because Jesus is not just the only one worthy to enter God's presence. He is the one through whom the people of God can enjoy God's presence as well. He is the one through whom we can seek the face of the God of Jacob. And that is because he is the one through whom we can be declared righteous before God. Jesus lived the perfect life of holiness that we could never live. And he deserves the blessing and righteous verdict of God. But instead of the blessing and righteousness of God, Jesus took on our unrighteousness, our filthiness, our uncleanliness. And instead of blessing, he was cursed as our substitute. And because of that, if we place our faith in Jesus, our sins are counted against him and we are forgiven. If we place our faith in him, his perfect record of righteousness, his holy life, his clean hands, his pure heart is applied to us through faith. And we are declared righteous by God. If we trust in Jesus, he provides for us the holiness that God requires in order to enter his presence. And not only that, because he has made us holy, when we trust in Jesus, he sends us the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, to live inside us. Not only do we get the gift of living in the tent of Yahweh, we get the blessing of being the tent of Yahweh as the Holy Spirit himself takes up residence in the soul of the one who trusts in Jesus. We become the holy place in which God dwells. And the Holy Spirit inside of us empowers us to enjoy the good life of holiness that God intended for us. When we walk by the Spirit, He bears fruit in our lives of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is what the King of glory has done for us. Jesus is this King of glory. He is the one who is mighty in battle, who is conquered by His death and resurrection. And one day, this king of glory will return and accomplish final victory, entering the holy place once and for all. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. We see a portrait of the ultimate fulfillment of this entrance of the king of glory through the gates of the holy place. Revelation 21, we're going to start in verse 22 and go through chapter 22 and verse 5. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple 
is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. On that day, the devil will be defeated. Death will be swallowed up in victory. The people of God will be free from the presence of sin. And a new earth and the fullness thereof will be the holy place. The entire planet will be the place where God manifests His presence. The gates will be opened, and the people of God will follow the King of glory into the presence of God and enjoy Him and glorify Him forever. This is the hope of everyone who trusts in Jesus, the King of glory. So let me just ask you some questions to think on as we conclude. Go back to where we started. Do you desire God? Because if you don't, this whole psalm will not make any sense. Why do I care who can ascend the hill of the Lord if I don't want to go up there in the first place? Why do I care if the king of glory is entering if I don't want the king of glory? But do you desire this God? Do you, have you come to the place where you know that there is no treasure greater than this God? Uh, do you desire not, not his gifts, but God himself? Do you long for his presence? Are, are you trusting Jesus to give you the blessing of eternity in the presence of God? Not your performance, not your good works, not your religion, not a decision you made one time a long time ago and forgot about. Are you trusting in Jesus and his righteousness to make you right with God? If you have trusted in Jesus, are you walking in the spirit and enjoying the good life of holiness? And are you longing for the day that the king of glory will return and we spend eternity enjoying the presence of God.
There is no greater joy than the presence of God. So may we all enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit today, and may we all long for the fullness of the presence of God in the future. As we come to the table this morning to take the Lord's Supper, this sacred meal gives us multiple ways to enjoy the truths of Psalm 24. As we partake of the bread and cup, symbolizing Jesus' body broken for us and blood poured out for us, we're reminded of the sacrifice Jesus made in order to bring us into the presence of God. As we partake of the bread and cup, we do so experiencing the presence of God through the Holy Spirit with us. As we partake of the bread and the cup, we do so together as the blood-bought people of God, a generation seeking the face of the God of Jacob. And as we partake in the bread and the cup, we look forward to the day that the King of glory will return and we will feast with him in his presence and enjoy his presence for all of eternity. This sacred time at the Lord's table is for those who have trusted in the death and resurrection of Christ for salvation. So if you're not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus, we would ask that you refrain from partaking until you come to faith in Christ and then joyfully partake with us along with all who trust in Jesus. We encourage those of you who are believers to examine your hearts so that you can partake in a worthy manner. If your heart is harboring any unrepentant sin, we would ask you to refrain until you're able to come freely and partake. Uh, But if you are a, a member of the body of Christ, Jesus invites you to come to his table. Uh, This is a meal not just for our local body, but for the global body of Christ. So if you're a baptized member of a gospel-preaching church in good standing, we would welcome you to partake with us at the table. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing a song. During that time, as you're ready, you can come and receive the elements. And uh, we just ask that you take them back to your seat and hold on to them so that we can all partake together after the song is finished. Let's pray. Father, we bow our heads now, and as we do, we remember how Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit when he died in our place. We bow in reverence, in awe, in adoration for the person of Christ, the words of Christ, the cross of Christ. We ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit in a fresh way, so that our worship in this moment will bring true honor to you. Our one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that this moment would bring genuine comfort to our souls as we delight in our God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.